Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College, offering a fully online graduate-level certificate in learning differences and neurodiversity programs. Visit landmark.edu slash certificate to learn more. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, MindShift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome to MindShift, the podcast about the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Ki Sung. And I'm Nima Gobier. When school buildings closed during the pandemic, kids had a lot to say about it. Things like, I'm not learning. I can't see my friends. I'm over school. I'm stuck at home. The pandemic took a toll on students' mental health, but there is one bright spot. Urban Promise Academy. UPA for short. It's a middle school based in East Oakland. They teach 6th through 8th grade with about 370 students. Almost half are English language learners. With the pandemic, UPA was shell-shocked just like any other school, but they were able to get back on their feet faster. And based on conversations and regular surveys, they've been able to meet their students' mental health needs. And it didn't call for anything drastic. But the work did begin before the pandemic. Back, in fact, when the school started in 2001. It was 20 years ago, and four teachers set out to build their own school. One of them was school counselor Mary Ellen Bayardo. We wanted to create a small, autonomous school where kids would not fall through the cracks, that we would wrap our arms around them and never let them go. Every school wants to take care of their kids. But at UPA, it meant having a curriculum that students actually enjoyed, great relationships between students and teachers, going outside, having fun field trips. And for Bayardo, it also meant strong counseling. As a school counselor, Bayardo seems very approachable. And she talks about having the coziest office in the world. A really plush, comfy chair with a blanket, a burrito blanket, no less. And, you know, candles, aromatherapy, lavender all over the place. Those kids sit in the chair, they're like, this is magical. It's like you sit here and then you have to tell the truth. I go, exactly. She says you can go to her cozy corner for anything. Little things like, I need a place to be right now. Or big things like, I'm scared at home. Or school's really hard and I have no friends. And she'll come find you if she hears you're not doing well. For many students, UPA created a place where they felt safe. Bayardo tells this story about a kid whose mom passed away from cancer. And so I heard that he had left the building, and I was very sad for him. An hour later, Bayardo saw him walking down the hallway. And I was flabbergasted. I, I said, sweetie, wait, 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 wait. Hey, what, what's going on? Did you go home? He told Bayardo that he did go home. So she asked him, Okay, um, and, and did, you want your, did your family want you to stay there and be with them at this time? And I'll never forget, he looked me in the eye and he said, Bardo, 
this is home. This is family. Where else would I be? Bayardo gets really choked up when she talks about it. She's touched that kids actually like being at UPA. And yet they have 370 students and just one Bayardo. She couldn't support them all, especially some students who she thought needed professional therapy, which is something more individualized and hands-on than what a counselor can provide. We had kids with such trauma that I could basically put a Band-Aid on it and do check-ins and make plans with them. But I also, my job was to connect them to outside services where they could get regular, consistent, and powerful therapy. But Bayardo would often hit snags when trying to get kids therapists, like insanely long wait lists. Okay, your student is number 20 on the waiting list. And it's like, oh my God. So we were, we were desperate. They needed therapists who could see kids sooner rather than later. They also needed therapy that didn't require insurance and loads of paperwork. And at the time, that seemed impossible. But one day, Bayardo got the news she'd been waiting for. When my principal said, I'm going to introduce you to the Wright Institute and Dr. Tracy Smith, I said, who are they? (laughs) He said, they're going to bring you therapists. I got to tell you, it was Christmas. I was like, what? Really? Like for us? Like more than one? Oh my God, bilingual? But it was, (laughs) it was a gift. As you can tell, Bayardo was super excited. UPA would work with the Wright Institute based in Berkeley, and it's a pretty sweet mutual situation. How it works is people attend the Wright Institute to become fully licensed therapists. They're in continuous training, and once they're ready, they'll start providing therapy to students. During that time, they're closely supervised by licensed therapists. They'll have small groups to talk about what's going on with students and weekly one-on-one meetings with their supervisor. The Wright currently has partnerships with three schools in Oakland and Richmond. Clinical psychologist Tracy Smith is in charge of these partnerships. Oftentimes these schools are places where the principal and or the teachers have realized that there's a need and they want to fill it. And and they will oftentimes reach out to us and we'll have conversations with them about what they're looking for and um, what they're thinking about. The right is not the only provider at UPA, but it is completely free, which is a huge perk. We don't bill Medi-Cal. We don't ask for fees, no insurance. So it's open to any kid who wants services at any time. When fall rolls around, therapists are at school as soon as doors open. And they want to make sure people know about them. They host a lunch for teachers to tell them, if a kid needs help, this is where you'll find us. And we introduce ourselves. We remind them about services. We explain, you know, where the referral form is. Meanwhile, UPA has to pull their weight, too. Like, if a school is iffy or mixed about how important mental health is to education, we have a harder time. And so... When we're at schools that support it, it's a lot easier because they do a lot of normalizing about mental health services and they do a lot around stigma. To make therapy less scary at UPA, Bayota worked on normalizing therapy and support for students. She has all of these wonderful little sayings to let students know that mental health care will improve their lives. You know, I always tell kids, you know, I want you to just pretend you're in the airport. 
and you've got six heavy suitcases and you're trying to drag them through the airport, you're trying to get your plane, but it's just heavy and it's tired. Every time you talk to a therapist, it's like you're taking things out of those suitcases and giving it to the therapist. And now you're walking and you're lighter. And one day when you arrive to your flight, you no longer have suitcases. You've given them all away. UPA wants all students to get the help they need. And so they developed the student wellness survey to make sure they're not missing anyone. I feel like those surveys have been instrumental in uh, getting the clients the help they need. Each student takes the survey every six weeks. It's used to see how kids are feeling. It'll ask questions like, do you have enough food at home? Do you have friends at school? How would you rate UPA? And if there are low scores or any indicator that a kid isn't doing well, it signals to Bayardo to get in touch with that student and see if they need additional support, which could be counseling with Bayardo, group therapy, or individual therapy. Having um, these organizations that are ready to go, not like there's a waiting period, there's a list, to be able to write up a referral and know that the next week someone's going to call that kid, because of those surveys, I'm able to say, hey, Tracy, I've got three referrals for you. To hear what it's like for students, Bayardo put me in touch with Betsy, a recent graduate from UPA. She was referred to therapy because she had originally gotten to sixth grade late and needed help getting acclimated. It was very exciting at first. I just started thinking like all the new, the new things I was going to learn and how they were going to help me. So it was exciting. Betsy has big life goals, and she feels like having a therapist will help her get there. She likes the advice and the judgment-free listening. There are other people that, like, you tell them something, but sometimes they judge you or, or like, maybe they don't tell you, but they kind of, like, show it, and, like, you can tell that, that they're very judgmental. Yeah, but therapist is very different. For kids to get therapy, parents and caregivers need to be on board. Sure, a parent or caregiver needs to sign the waiver that lets their kid receive help, but it's also super important that they see therapy as a good thing, so their kid is more likely to keep attending their sessions. And UPA has one person dedicated to getting buy-in from parents. We have one of the best family coordinators in the world, the district, and she has brought the families into the school and offered amazing support. Bayardo is talking about Glendy Cordero Rodriguez, and she kind of does sound like the best. She connects families to whatever agencies and services they might need, whether it's English classes or parenting workshops. She also makes sure caregivers understand what's going on when their kid decides to go to therapy. I personally make the first call to the families and let them know that we have our intakes uh, about therapy and that their child has been uh, selected for uh, different reasons. So then I explain them clearly what the re- those reasons are, mainly uh, feeling overwhelmed, stressed out. I ask the families if they would like to accept the therapy that our school is providing to their child, free of cost. I explain how many times a week or a month this uh, therapy session will go on. And later on, uh, we talk or answer as many questions as the families have. Sometimes Glendy is met with resistance. A lot of parents, especially parents of color and first-generation parents, have stigma around therapy. 
When Glendy contacts them, their first reaction might be, wait, there's nothing wrong with my kid. Uh, one of the things that I, I mentioned is, if you see me, you won't think that I have used uh, therapy as well. I want to emotionally and mentally be prepared to support myself and others. So that's why I got the therapy. Every once in a while, Glendy has to go above and beyond to get caregivers on board. Like there was one time a mom didn't want her child in therapy at all and wouldn't sign the waiver giving permission. So one of the things that I did, uh, it was I invited the family to observe uh, during recess, see her child around the other kids and see some differences that uh, we were seeing that it ring the bell to us that that child may need that support at the time. Being able to see your kid on the playground with other kids can show caregivers things they might not notice at home, like issues with bullying, fighting, or isolation. And I think in less than than 20 minutes after that observation time, she accepted, signed the waiver, and, you know, uh, we got uh, right away the plan and support for for that student. After a few years of working with the Wright Institute, Bayardo was confident that all students that needed help were getting help. If a student was very insecure, um, had no friends, just was like a a loner, and you see them at lunch and they now have three friends they're sitting with and they're laughing and talking, it's not scientific, but boy, that is great data because a change has happened for that child. When a family calls me and says, I just want to thank you so much. My child has changed. They're not moody at home. They're not yelling at me. They're not throwing things. I mean, this has really helped my child so much. And the big unexpected bonus was therapy at UPA became trendy. Therapy is not like a myth no more, but it's, uh, um, you know, somehow it's making the kids seem cooler. The other kids, families have like truly shift their mind and accept the mental support easier than the years before. By 2020, nearly a third of UPA's 370 students were in therapy or group counseling. But that was before the pandemic rocked our worlds upside down and sideways. When March 2020 rolled around, UPA had to figure out how to get students therapy and support when they were no longer in school physically. And they did it, but not without a few challenges. And we'll get into the challenges after the break. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening Because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid. And I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because 
This is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. So to remind you... Upa hit their goals, got their kids help, and were feeling on top of the world. So then the pandemic hit and we looked at each other and said, oh, holy mother of God, what are we going to do here? Bayardo's superpower, helping young children be whole and fulfilled human beings, relied heavily on those day-to-day interactions she had with kids. And now some of those kids were at home on their computers with their screens turned off. She had to find a new plan. And it was urgent because kids were stressed. They're more worried about basic things. Here's Tracy Smith from The Ride Again. They're worried about food and they're worried about the safety of their family when they leave the house. I'm just hearing a lot more worry about things, everyday things that they don't, they weren't necessarily worried about before. Safety, things around security, things around access. The pandemic also messed with normal teen socializing because kids weren't able to interact with their friends in the same way. They're consumed with their friends at that age, and now they're they're really worried about whether or not they're they're communicating enough, um, too much, too little. Did someone misinterpret something they posted on Instagram? Like, there's just a lot more worry about relationships. Some began taking on more responsibilities, like caring for younger siblings. Others got jobs so they could support their families more. I've had a lot of students who were opting to work. If they were in person in school, they'd be in school. But now that they can do it virtually, they're also picking up another job. Getting kids the help they need is more difficult because you can't just drop by the classroom or see them in the hall. For some, you need to contact them again and again before hearing back. And it can be impossible to know if they're intentionally blowing you off or if something else is up. We used to say, oh, yeah, that student's in room 21. Let me go get that kid for you. Oh, you're going to take him to your office? All of a sudden, it's like, I need to find that phone number. And even if Bayardo or Glendy managed to connect with a child, they, like many educators, had to make sure students had the technology to actually attend therapy sessions. Sometimes some of our kids don't have phones, so they're using their parents' phone. And so they can only do that when their parents are home and parents work because they need to feed their families and they cannot have a phone while they're at work. And then privacy is hard. Kids share rooms with siblings, some with siblings and parents. And therapy is something you really don't want to do around other people. I have one child that I had to check in with. Uh, suddenly, I noticed that the place that he went into, it got like very dark. And I asked, you know, like, what are you right now? And he said, like, I open up my tent in the middle of the living room just to have like that kind of like sense of privacy. A lot was going on, but Upa never saw a dip in numbers. 
And Bayardo says it's because they were able to root out and find students who needed help. This year, I feel, has gone exceptionally well with the pandemic. The clinicians that we got this year, very, very strong, very persistent. I wanted to hear from one student who started therapy on Zoom. So I talked to a student who I'll call Ava to protect her privacy. She's going to be a seventh grader, and she started her middle school experience online. I had some family problems. Usually when people used to bring up... um, conversations about them. I used to be sad. Ava also struggled with bullying at the school she went to before UPA. I didn't know how to do a lot of things. For example, read, spell, math. It's very hard for me. And I used to get bullied for that. And it was very difficult. And then I had a lot of friends and I started losing them. I was bullied for like three years. She says she's normally energetic in class, but one day her teacher noticed that she seemed down, so she offered to get Ava connected to UPA's therapy services. I thought to myself, I want to try it out. I want to see if it works. And it did work. I liked talking to her. Ava was pretty surprised by how much she liked therapy and her therapist, who turned out to be flexible and understanding about what she was facing in her everyday life. Ava's mom was pregnant when Ava started therapy, so Ava would spend a lot of time helping with the baby. He's the cutest thing. I love him. When I couldn't do something because my mom needed help, I called my therapist. Oh, I can't go today. And we used to sign up for another day. So I always worked out. Even though Ava's had a pretty positive experience with therapy, when she describes it, she says it's hard because she has all these feelings she doesn't quite know how to express. She says bit by bit, therapy is helping her express herself better. I'm like that type of person. I don't talk to no one about my problems. I just keep it to myself. It felt kind of weird, but it was like kind of a relief. What do you think is the hardest part about being in therapy? The questions that they ask me. There are questions that I really don't want to answer, but I have the need to answer because I don't want to keep it in my chest. Like, let's say that she asked me, how do you feel about your parents not being together? There are some questions that like make me cry. What do you think is the best thing about being in therapy? That I get to talk about my problems. (laughs) And uh, I have someone to talk to. Betsy also attended therapy this past year. She was able to take therapy calls from her mom's room while she was at work. Betsy is still really focused on her life goals. She wants to be a lawyer or a vet and take care of her family like they've taken care of her. We're not poor, but we're also not rich. So we're kind of like in the middle. Like, like thank God we, we eat food every day. Like, we have a house. and But, like, I want to be, like, the one in the, in the house, like, in the family to have something big. I want to do something big for my grandma also because she did take care of me when I was very little. Betsy is off to high school next year, and she's not sure if her school will have therapists, but she'd like to keep seeing someone. It's a sign that therapy at UPA has been meaningful to her. I will do more digging on that. If not, then I will go to like a therapist out of school. Adolescents and teens are often working through a lot. Going through middle or high school is hard enough, but adding a pandemic amps that up. Therapy will be very helpful when students get back to school buildings. Some kids are coping with loss from the pandemic or the anxiety of changing routines. 
Fortunately, more places like the Wright Institute exist. Schools can look into whatever local supports are available. To borrow a metaphor from Bayardo, having access to mental health resources can help young people get through the airport of life with less baggage. A big thank you to Upa, Bayardo, Glendi, Ava, Betsy, the Wright Institute, and Tracy for talking to me for this story. That was Nima Gobier, and I'm Kisa. Our editor is Jessica Placek, Seth Samuel is our sound designer, Erica Aguilar is our head of podcasts, and Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. If you love MindShift and enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. It's the best way for people to find out about the show, and it helps us keep going. And if you want to share your thoughts on this episode, you can find us on Twitter at MindShiftKQED. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.